Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 35 for Monday, October 19th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And out in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. How you doing, Mr. Kent? Good, man. We missed last week. It was a little weird. We were on such a great roll. What do we do? 36 straight. Yep. Finding ways on either side of the coast, you know, working around vacations. But finally, our busy schedules got the best of us. Yeah, it was some last minute stuff that kind of happened. And it was, yep, there's no way. So... I guess that teaches us that we should have one in the can, my friend. So uh, to, to make ah. a release, right. But you know, we'll get there. It's yeah. good. We're, I think we're doing okay. Sure. How are you doing? You doing all right? I'm doing good. It's good. actually, uh, it's slowing down a little bit and uh, it's a good time for reflection, you know, setting new goals for the bands and for myself. And so I thought maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today about, you know, I think it's it's a reasonable universal thing. There's more places to play, more things going on in the summer months. Yep. And then when it starts to get into colder weather, you know, you're more limited to inside stuff. And so um, I, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, reflecting about, you know, where I am as a musician, where the groups I play in are and, and uh, setting some goals. So I want to talk a little bit about, about that today. I like it. That's th- this is a good time to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, sure. um, did you, uh, you celebrated your birthday last week. So happy birthday, my friend. And well, thank you very much. You and, um, and you played some gigs last week. I actually played, I haven't played since we've talked last. I don't think that's right, but it's been a couple of weeks. How's the wrist? The wrist is doing well. Uh, I've played several times since, uh, since we talked last, just not out. Um, and it, it's been, uh, it's been fine. There's actually one, like if I, I, I broke the bone, it's my left hand. And if there's, we're still not sure. Well, let's assume I broke a bone, right? So I broke the radius, which is the bone on the inside of, of your arm. If your hand is, you know, palm down, um, that's not sore at all anymore. And hasn't been for weeks. There's, there's like a little bit on, on the outside. Like if I bend my arm in just the right way and it's hard to do it, but sometimes it just happens. It's a little sore there, but my doctor said that's kind of normal. There's, there's like a piece of cartilage or something over there that, uh, he said in most people just heals. So, um, so I've been playing, um, it, what's interesting. I've taken a couple of weeks off here and there over, you know, I mean, I've been playing drums for whatever, 30 years now. There's certainly been times where I've taken a couple of weeks off and, Whenever I come back, I always notice that there's like tiny little things like maybe my press roll isn't quite as as good as it, it normally is and, and things like that. But for the most part, no problem. And so I kind of expected that that's what this was going to be like coming back into it. Uh, what I failed to consider is that in those times when I've taken time off from playing, my hand has still been in use doing other things. So, you know, the various muscle groups haven't just been dormant they just haven't been holding sticks and so there's been a couple of of moments uh where i've gone to you know do something and my hands just like you know i i don't i don't do that right now you know <laughs> so yeah. um 
Yeah. So I've been, I've been pretty diligently practicing every day and, and doing, you know, on a drum pad or whatever, something every day, uh, just to make sure that, that I'm working it back up and it's, it's getting there. I, um, I had, I had a, had a couple of fling rehearsals and then last week during my travels, I got to play with, uh, some old friends. I think I've mentioned it on the show before these guys that, uh, years, <coughs> ago, years ago I used to jam with and, uh, we would get together every week and just play and uh, with no expectation of going out and, and, and playing out, it was just playing for playing sake. And I got to play with them last week and that was, that was quite nice. It's always good for the soul. Very cool. Yeah. Some great yeah. players. And I had a theater rehearsal yesterday, which was like a four hour marathon thing. Um, but it, it went well, it was, you know, no problem. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. What's it look like moving forward? You got, you got a couple things in November, a couple things in December. Yeah. I've actually got a gig. Um, I've got gigs this Friday and next Friday and then next Saturday too. So this Friday is actually an acoustic thing. And then, um, next week, Friday and Saturday are, um, electric gigs with, uh, chafed for one and fling for the other. Oh, so good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I get to lug, I get to lug gear, which is sort of the, the thing that, con- <laughs> yeah, well, that concerns me the most with my hand. Like if there's a problem, it's going to be, you know, lifting heavy things and swinging mic stands around, sure. you, you know, there's there's things we do when we're moving gear around that aren't good for our bodies, right? That's probably the worst. So, um, so we'll see how it goes. I'm sure we'll be fine. Well, good. Well, uh, it is an interesting time of year. I mean, the house rockers, we have a month off from between gigs, which is we haven't had that since. Sure. I don't know if we had that any time in calendar 2015. I think there was always at least a couple a month, and so this is uh, an interesting thing. In one way, it's cool. You know, everybody kind of gets to recharge their batteries. It's kind of a cool thing. And I think I've shared on the show a couple times, uh, the the band has been really good about, like, when you come back after a little break, being very energized. I mean, I think the amount of desire in the band has has changed or maybe, you know, maybe the guys, uh, you know, are appreciating the constancy of, of gigging as much as we have. And so, so I think that's cool, but we haven't got a full month. So it'll be really interesting to see where the rest will show up. I tried to add a couple new songs well, actually old songs that we hadn't played in a long time over the last couple of gigs. And they were, they were good. I mean, we, we were in such a good groove that you can take a risk and, you know, play a non-rehearsed song. And it seems like everybody's collective, um, memory or ability to listen to the guy next to you to catch you up. If you've forgotten something has taken a step up, but again, this month off is, is a pretty interesting thing. Then we've got two club dates in November. And right now we have a club date and a big new year's Eve gig in December, but this is, this is not playing very much. And as a leader, you know, there's a couple of weird things that happen. So first thing is I have a little bit of concern Will people get involved with other projects that will start to take up their time and headspace? So that's, sure. you know, one thing, right? So, it, you know, and we've talked about this many times over the course of doing this podcast, like my, my range of emotions and my continuum of, of experiences of leading the band, you know, went from very heavy handed to, I would say now not terribly heavy. I mean, there's the thing I, I really pick and choose the things that are really important to me. Availability is an important thing. We're actually going to lose one of our guys. So our trombone players moving out of the area, great player, great guy. You know, he's been with us for five years. He's the youngest guy in the band 
And um, he's added a lot. He's, he did a lot of arrangements for us, but he's going to be moving away. And so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to audition. Uh, there's four or five guys that are lined up to audition for this spot. And just thinking through preparing those guys for the audition, the deal is this. And, and, and for horn players, this is often a really foreign thing. You have to want to be in a band. You have to prioritize this over other things. In return, you'll get 50 to 60 gigs a year. Right. But this is not a, oh, yeah, I'm available. I'm not available. You know, that that's not going to work. This is a band that rehearses, that has chemistry, that has, you know, a certain amount of stage presence, you know, all these types of things. It's not just showing up and filling the chair. And the relation to these two thoughts are um, when we have a break, you know, musicians want to play. So are they going to ease into some things? They're going to, you know, occupy them that might turn into more than maybe what they thought it would be when they started. It al- and therefore it always will happens. that affect. Not, not always, but as yeah. someone who has done like fill-ins and, you know, I, I, it, yeah. In fact, that's how Chafe, that's how my gig in Chafe came to be. I played uh, three gigs with them because their drummer couldn't make it. And on the third one, they announced to the crowd, how do you like our new drummer, Dave? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it happens, right? It expands. Yep. Yeah. So I would um, I would say that that's, that's one of the things on the forefront of my mind right now is like, how do, I want to keep the consistency, you know, send the guys a note every now and then, you know, schedule some rehearsals, just do stuff to keep, let them remind them that the house rockers, you know, we're, this is the way our, our, our flow goes, you know, it gets a little quieter in the winter. We go back to work January 1st, adding a lot of songs between January and May. I mean, we've already got about 15, maybe 18 gigs for 2016 already booked. So, I mean, there's definitely, it's not like that's the great unknown. Are we going to work again? But, um, but these lulls are good and bad. They, they're good because you need them to recharge your battery and get a, you know, a refreshed sense of who you are as a musician, but they're bad because, you know, in a band, especially a bigger band, you know, where 10 guys heads might go, um, in terms of filling their time and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, if they're going to get too, too terribly involved with something else. And it's, th- this is, I go back to thinking about, you know, when I, when I first started leading the band and I was pretty heavy handed about it. And I was like, you know, you have to be available, those types of things. And then I kind of realized that, you know, these things have a certain benefit if the, the, the truth of it is that it's an at will relationship, right? Yeah. There's not so much money at stake here that I can really hold people's, you know, accountability to the fire. Yeah. Nobody's so, retiring you know, from their rock band income. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, the deal is this, it's like, you know, if you can deal with the, the couple of constraints that I'm putting in front of you, you will play more than you'll probably play with most other groups. Right. That's and true. that is. That's that's the essence of the of what carries the day in, in these con, in these conversations. But um, yeah. So anyway, we're in this time. We got a little time off. I got a lot of new songs kind of floating through my head, which would be good for us. Encouraging the, the guys to think about it. But there is this kind of like lowly time and we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm 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 not worried about it. You know, like something bad is going to happen. But it always dawns on me that, um, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, I'm curious, like um, it, during is there anything that you do or could do during the, the summer that would give you the the, you know, the excuse or the, the you know, stuff to focus on? I mean, do you for, for example, do you record some or all of your gigs and then, you know, go back and, and maybe you can, you know, find some some things that you can work on. And now, you know, you're in the fall months and it's like, hey, let's go back. You know, there were these things that we I think we could tighten up on as we move into, you know, as we start thinking about next year, that, that kind of stuff, is there, is there any of, any of that, that, 
that you could or, or, or sure. do, right? Well, it's a really interesting question. So the, the simple answer is actually not really. I mean, we tend to push forward. Right. If you were to look at kind of the evolution of things, you know, you kind of bring some songs in, you play them to different degrees, you know, and then they lock in as to what they're going to be. Yep. Yeah. There's a co- always a couple of notes of things that we, we go back, but, but it's not a very long list and we don't spend a lot long time on that. You know, sometimes it'll be a, a song and we'll change an arrangement to it or change a feel here or there or something like that. But mostly when, when we're done with a tour, so to speak, we start looking forward and thinking about new material and those okay. sorts of things. We will, we'll clean up a few things, but that said, you know, we have this really cool personas board, this all digital board that, um, that, uh, uh, we can record our shows fairly easily. And our sound guy, Bill has been quietly recording these shows and sending them to a buddy of ours. Who's a, a recording engineer. And we've got a lot of material that we can go out and, and, uh, but Nick and I have to go down and, and, uh, spend some time with the guy. He lives about a half hour away. Yep. We got to go down and spend some time with the guy and, and, uh, kind of give him a little bit more information. Like here's a solo and, you know, here's a, here's a certain sound. So he's got the raw stuff and he sent us a couple of samples, but I think it's actually gonna be fun. We, you know, I don't, we're not going to sell it, sure. but we'll certainly get new demos out of it and we'll have some things to share on social media and that type of thing. So that that's one project for the winner is going through, you know, several hours of recorded material and seeing what we can come out with. The, that'll be the best of the best. Well, that's good. Like, like, you know, it gives you something to do. Maybe it's probably not something the whole band can be engaged in because you don't want 10 cooks in that particular kitchen. Um, but, you know, it gives, like you said, it gives you something to keep, keep, it keeps you moving forward. It, it honors that, that here's what we do together thing while, while still also honoring the, the kind of the goal of the band where you're just, you know, it's all about what do we do next? I like yeah. it. That's good, man. So, yeah, it is. It is good stuff. And um, so, which, which it's this gonna, period of reflection. Finish. I, I've got a question for you, but but it's we can wait. It's this period of you know reflection. What do we accomplish? What are we good at? Who are we as a band? And some projects that circle around those thinking. You know what? What more can we do? Where do we want to change? You know, what, how do you evolve just to keep things interesting? I mean, there are lots of bands who, you know, they've got their 40 songs and that's been their list for, you know, for 10 years. We've never been that way. And the, my band thrives on pushing pretty hard. I think last year we added 10 or 11 new songs. I'd like to totally turn the show entirely, but you have some songs that, they, you know, they work so well. It's really hard to walk away, you know, leave them, you know, off a set list. But I think the band is getting more uh, daring about a lot of these things. Really interesting. I sent a note out to the guys saying, you know, as we're preparing for uh, thinking about new songs, here's a couple thoughts that I want to share with you. As a band, we seem to have done really well being very mutually supportive and accepting. So any song, we tried anything anybody brought in. Nothing was dismissed like that. That'll never work which is not the way it was in the past. Me most guilty of anybody. Like, you know, (laughs) why are we going to spend time on that? Right. Or, you know, but you know, the connection is it helped the overall vibe of the band. Everybody felt heard. Everybody felt like they contributed that type of thing. So we tried everything. Some stuff didn't make it out of rehearsal. Sure. uh, And some stuff, some stuff, you know, we gave the all American try in gigs, but it just never quite went over. And, and some of them would be funny. And one of them was a Springsteen song, actually, that showed some hints 
that it might be what we would want it to be. It wasn't really a dancing song, but it was kind of like one of those kind of anthemy, you know, fist pumping things. And um, it worked a couple times, sort of. And then it didn't. And then it did a little less than it did. And then, you know, it became one of those songs like, all right, well, we're trying it, but, you know, let's just get through it. It never, I don't think it, it never caught fire for us. And so my question to the guys was, do you think we should continue on? Because for the social good of the band, let's try anything makes everybody feel happy. However, when you look back and you say, well, we spent a decent amount of time on that, both in gigs and in rehearsals, was that the best use of our time? You know, would you rather me be like, let's, or us as a band have a vetting process to talk about songs and that type of thing. So that's, there's a risk there, right? So some guy has a song he's excited about. It gets voted down by the band. He gets butt hurt. And, you know, it's not, it's not as smooth. This year was very, 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 very smooth. I believe to a large degree because there was this, yeah, let's, let's give everything our best and see where it goes. But again, some of that time wasn't, we didn't get that time back. So I sent the guys a note that said, as we're thinking about, as we're thinking about new material, here's a couple of things that I observe. Well, number one, things that people know work is work. Songs that generally have a happy vibe work. Um, and, you know, songs that the whole band buys into work. So those kind of three guiding posts were the things that I wanted the guys to think about. Now, now, now I have to resist my temptation to bring in, you know, an obscure live track from Bruce from, you know, 1981, you know, because it means so much to me that that's something that I've done in the past. Right. Yep. And um, one second. Um, and then, you know, Nick, Nick is like a huge funk fan and, and, um, uh, you know, he, he's brought in a couple of funk songs and really stretched us. You know, he, he brought in a Chaka Khan song, which is a really cool, funky song. And, uh, the band played it. Okay. I mean, it's, that's heavy funk where the feel, you know, you needed a pretty authentic feel. I don't think we ever got there. So, you know, Nick was singing Chaka Khan and it was pretty wow. amazing. Which, actually, Which tune was but it? The band never, um, I don't remember the name, but I'm, this, remember, this isn't my, this isn't my thing. It's not your wheelhouse. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up while, I'll, yeah, not my, not my bag, baby. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a look at it. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, you got the love. That's what it is. You got oh, the love. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, That's a great tune. It is a good tune. Horn chart was cool. You know, the bass player was funky, you know, it, but not, it, it never quite got there. It was novel to see this white guy belting the hell out of this out of this Chaka Khan lyric you know yeah. vocal part but um, uh, I don't know maybe maybe it was too funk you know something but to me that the song never quite got to the place where it felt like it could have gotten when you listen to the original like oh sure. yeah that song's great but you know then you, gotta, then you gotta interpret it right but it is it is that thing about about what will work um, what will tilt the odds in, in your favor based upon what you know I always say we're entitled to one or two vanity songs, a show and a vanity song to me is basically it's a, it's a song that, that people won't know, but they'll catch on to yep. sooner or later. So I, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not necessarily a dance song, but it sets up a dance song or something like that. Yep. Only one or two of those per show is about where I think, you know, a cover band like us can, can afford to give that amount of time to it. Yeah, it makes sense. Those, those, and, and I, I like that term vanity songs because it, 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 it describes them perfectly. Here's something we really like to play. We know we're good at playing, 
even though you don't know the tune, you know, uh, right. and originals can fall into that mix. Although, you know, as with any vanity song, if you play it enough, you can kind of bring your crowd around to it. Um, if, it, if it, if it truly works. And we've got some like that too, where it's, you know, things that started out as vanity songs now, you know, they, they're just part of the set and, and we can use that, use that time for a different vanity song. Right. And, but some of them just, you know, they got to fall by the wayside sometimes. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's good. That's good, man. That's, um, it is the fall is a time for reflection and, uh, and then you buckle down and, and get some work done over the winter. Right. For you. Exactly. Yep. Start anew the first of the year. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, so I wanted to, I, I had, I had a question for you. You said you were recording your gigs with a PreSonus board. Wh- do you know which, which model board it is? I know we've got some, some gear geeks out there, myself included. So I, I love it, to. It's the 24 channel board. Okay. Okay. Cool. So th- I think, uh, yeah, I think that they basically have a 16, a 24, now right. they have a 32 board, channel board. And so we have the, the, the 24 channel it's, and it's great. We've loved it. There've been a couple of mechanical problems so you know we've had like some faders that have had some problems okay um like and a big value of that board so a we got we were able to get rid of a rack of most stuff because most of it is built into the board digitally right so that made the sound guy happy one huge rack of stuff he didn't have to lug around and and connect um it does cool things like right the firewire out and you can and it comes with software and you can record 24 channels you know basically every channel you can go out of firework wire right into the, into a recording console. And also uh, you can do remote mixing. So you can hook up um, an airport or, or a Wi-Fi sure. base station. And then you can walk around with a, with a phone or a, or a pad and, and mix. And you can let the guys mix their own monitor mixes, which yeah. I mean, four or five of the guys have been doing. Yeah. That- so it's kind of funny that, and that, and now I think four of the five horns have, they don't have iPads. They have pad devices. They don't have iPads, A, because of expense, B, because of size. So, you know, they yeah. actually have these full 12 inch, you know, screen type things. And so, you know, the amount of technology in the band just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. Yeah. It's handy having, uh, having the ability to, uh, let folks mix their own monitors. I mean, that, that's huge. Uh, especially if they're using in-ears, if they're using wedges, it depends on how savvy that person is. Right. But you can, it, 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 with a wedge, you're dealing with potential feedback issues. If you, if you don't know what you're doing in terms of, you know, bringing a, a level up here or there, but, um, but yeah, it makes a, it makes a huge difference having a digital board. Um, there's just so many benefits to it. So you know, many, not least of which the amount of stuff you have to lug, the stuff that they build into these boards now is unbelievable. It, totally. Yeah. It's great. And, and being able to save, you know, especially if you get got a room that's got some weird EQ or something, being able to save that at the end of the night and say, okay, you know, we, we, we rang out this room, we figured it out. Here's, here's where it is. And it's not going to be the end all, you know, it's not just going to be set it and forget it the next time. When you come back to that room, at least you have a starting point with, you yeah. know, with that EQ and that mix and things are going to be in different places and, and you've got to kind of tweak from there. But you tweak from there as opposed to saying, all right, zero it out. Let's go, you know, start from scratch again. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I have that's to great. actually we're talking about gear. I want to give a quick shout out to yeah. the 
folks at Ultimate Ears because I've been using my in-ears more and more. I love them. You know, we're really getting it down to a science now. And I was walking around at a gig and they were kind of dangling behind me. I stepped on them and I cracked the, the, the shell, the shell. Yep. sent it down, sent it down to Ultimate Ears, 99 buck flat repair fee. They basically gave me new in-ears. I mean, they, there's no way they could have repaired the amount of crack in the shelf for that. I mean, it was cracked and the wires were stripped. Uh, 99 bucks, flat fee. So these $800 in-ears, they basically turned around in two business days and I had them back in my hands for the next weekend of gigs. It was uh, The service was great. Quality of work was great. I, those guys definitely get a shout out today. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. Their service. I, I also use on stage. I use Ultimate Ears. Uh, I've tried various other ones. They seem to be the ones that I keep gravitating towards. And I've been using them since Jerry Harvey owned the company. And now actually now Jerry has his own thing. He's got JH Audio, right? Um, but yeah, their service is fantastic. I've had I've had the right driver the the right the low end driver on the right side I use the UE seven pros so they've got three drivers per ear which is probably overkill but that's okay um, the low driver on the right side is blown out a couple of times on me I don't know what it is that I do that causes this but uh, it it seems to happen and I don't run them real hot but I think if I take them out I think it's actually water getting in there or something I don't know whatever it is but they've always been really good about it I think I've I've paid I've had it go out three or maybe four times. And I think I've only paid twice. They, they, they honored the warranty on it one other time. And it was, yeah, it was in that same, I think I paid 150 bucks to get the driver replaced or something, but they do a nice job there and they're fast. I mean, you know, they know who their market is. Yeah. 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 That's good. Is that what you're using? The sevens? Seven, seven pros, seven pros. Now, uh, while we're on the, on the subject, do you, uh, use are your seven pros the ambient model with the 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 optional port, port? Yeah. yeah yep i like that port and that's why i've i've stuck with the ultimate ears because at least back when i was kind of shopping around for all of these uh several years ago I, no one else was doing the port like that other people solved and the port for those of you listening is is for uh letting a little bit of that stage sound bleed in because they know that folks like us us weekend warriors don't always have everything in the, in the mix. You know, there, there is an element of stage wash that that you need to be able to hear, you know, you're not on necessarily, you know, huge stages playing for thousands of people where everything is going to be reinforced and you've got crowd mics and ambient mics and all of that stuff. Uh, If you're using in ears without either a port uh, or without ambient mics, it it's, it's nearly impossible. And I say this as a drummer, I'm used to being isolated, you know, as a guitar player, man, I know it's tough uh, getting used to those in-ears. So, so the port on those, it was, uh, you know, it's a, it's an option when you buy the ultimate ear stuff. I think it was like a $50 addition or something, but well, well worth it. And you can plug Absolutely. it. You can plug it if you want, you know, it's, it's an option. You can, yep. you, know, you got the little, the little plug. So yeah, cool. How many of the guys in your band use in-ears? Um, Simon, the other guitar player uses them mostly. He's been fighting his a little bit. He has a less expensive one, a Nady unit that, that okay. he's getting some weird in different places. He'll get, it, it won't, it won't be, uh, it won't be very effective wireless. So that's one oh, thing. Right. Um, the two, the two sax players both use it and they both mix themselves, which is kind of cool. Yep. And that's it. So four, four out of 10, 
Um, and I got, f- I think four out of four out of five horn players on pads. Okay. Um, and yeah, that that's the amount of technology that's on the stage right now. It's pretty crazy. I mean, if you rewind back, uh, I guess I was using in-ears 10 years ago, but, but certainly you go back a little bit longer than that. And I mean, it's amazing the amount of technology and, and it really does Absolutely. make a difference, not only for the musicians on stage, but you know, for the whole experience, being able to hear all that stuff. Um, it, it keeps feedback down. It, you know, it, it solves a lot of problems. Um, technology is a wonderful thing when, when used appropriately. So, and when it works, you know, the thing is, right. <laughs> you know, fair point. Well, and I think you and I having living in the tech field for as long as we do, we get very enamored with technology, but you know, computers still crash and, you know, it, you know, your phone, when your when your fingers are really hot under hot lights, it doesn't tap your screen as effectively. And that gets very frustrating. It, it's great when it works, but it's not perfect all the time. And, and it is very frustrating when it's not there for you when you need it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Very. I always think about computers, you know, if your if your refrigerator worked like your computer did, now I, I I totally understand there's a a magnitude order of magnitude difference in the amount of technology in the two things, but sure, you know your your refrigerator, pretty much your microwave oven, they just work, they just do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they do it all the time, every day, all day. Yep. You know our technology is mostly good, and cooler things happen all the time, but it is often far from perfect. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It, it's it right. The more technology you add, the more points of failure you have on uh, on the stage. And and it can be frustrating in the middle of a gig. In fact, now that we're talking about it, you know, and the problem is you don't think about this stuff when you're off stage. I have the the right my right ear, the cable for it. Um, it, it must. I just need to replace the cable because it's it's a little flaky and it it, it doesn't always hold its seal uh, or, or it's it's fit into the the. the the ear unit, you know, into the mold in my ear. And sometimes it just cuts out and I, I just have to, right. you know, mess with it and put it back in. But, I, it, but it sucks when that happens, you know, especially if I'm only using one ear cause things might be a little weird and that's the one ear that's in and now it's done, you know? <laughs> so I got to replace my cable, but I, I never think about it. You know, I put the stuff on and it works and it's like, Oh yeah, there's that mining, there's that tiny little problem. And I wouldn't have thought about it. So now I'm actually making myself a note while we're doing the show right now. <laughs> well, cause the, it's you're, been happening for like a year. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not terrible. It's like this minor thing, except when it happens and then it's horrible and then it's all, and then do it's you, fixed. do you ever, do you own an electronic drum kit? No, it's, it's interesting though. Cause I've been talking to the folks at Yamaha about checking one out. Um, I own uh, an Alesis multipad, which is a really inexpensive um, digital sample pad. It's got four pads on it and I use it for some theater gigs. It's, it, you know, there's times when you've got to play a triangle sound or something and, and you've got sticks yeah. in your hand, you know, so, yeah. but, but it, so I, I do for that. I, mean, I haven't used it on a rock gig yet, mostly because it's just one more thing to set up. Um, but there's, there's times when it would be fun to, to have that. But uh, I actually, I, my thought on this is I, I'm actually not surprised that you don't own an electronic kit. Oh, actually, I guess I'm a little surprised because you're, you're a gadget guy. And, right. You know, you, you like playing with interesting things, but as much of a purist as I am about, about sound, it seems like for a drummer to have one thing, at least one thing that is a trigger, you know, that can, that can 
invoke certain things at certain times. I mean, you want to play 80s stuff, you yeah. really need that that snare sound, right? Yeah, you need that that, that really overprocessed, um, you know, lots of lots of reverb and 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 electronic snare sound. That's right. Yeah. So I actually think that uh, you know, guitar players have their assortment of pedals. Why not? Why wouldn't a drummer, you know, yep. want to have more sounds available to them? Yep. Yeah. And then, and you know, the theater thing was, um, I guess it was about what, two years ago that I got back into that and it was immediately obvious, you know, when I, even the first gig I did, it was like, Oh, I, you know, either I need to get extra hands. I really, I joke about getting an intern, you know, to, to play all the other percussion parts. Um, uh, because <laughs> a lot of these shows like this one I'm doing now called big fish, uh, there's two books. There's a book for a drummer and a book for a percussionist. And they give me both of them, you know, and, and there's times when it's like, okay, well pick which part you want me to play. Cause I don't have all of these limbs. And a lot of times it's, it's things like, well, you've got to, you know, like I said, you've got to hit a triangle or you've got to hit a gong or, uh, you know, trigger a gunshot sound or something. It's like, okay, well, you know, there's no way that, and, and, and I've got some musical directors that I've worked with that say, oh no, I, I, you know, I'm a purist. I want, all the real sounds. It's like, okay, well then you got to hire more people because I can't play bongos with my hands and triangle with a metal beater for a triangle. And then also snare drum with sticks all in the same measure because I, it, I just am incapable of switching, you know, implements like that. It's what it, you know, if we can do it all on, if I can hold sticks and, and just work out the logistics of it. Great. But otherwise we need more people, you know, it's like, okay, yep. So, so yeah, it, it, um, I'm sure I'll work this into rock gigs at some point. Um, I just haven't found, I, we haven't played the song where I'm like, I definitely need it, you know? And then it, and then it just becomes part of the kit kind of like, you know, like the yes. cowbell did or, or whatever. Right. You know, there's always that one song that sort of leads it in and then, and then it opens the rest up. So we'll get there yep. at some point. It's fun though. I, the electronic yes. stuff is cool. I, I need something better than what I have. I mean, it works fine for, you know, for the gigs that I do, but it's, I mean, at least it's multi-pad. I think it would cost me like 75 bucks. I mean, it was, you know, why are you talking to Yamaha? What, what's kind of led you to, to be wanting to consider it? Well, you know, I, I know their, their, uh, their PR company really well because they work with some other companies that, uh, that I, that I covered on my other podcast on Mac geek Gab, Right. And so, I, I was talking to them and they're like, you know, we know you're a drummer and we, we know you do this other show. Have you ever considered electronics? And I'm like, well, you know, and like, you should check these new things out. And, and they've, they've kind of got me sold on the idea. I have, they haven't arrived yet. So I, I, I haven't played them, but they're like, you know, these pads, they're putting air bubbles in the pads now, because that when you're, when you're playing a drum, you're actually playing one big air bubble, especially if it's a, 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 double-headed drum right you know there's there's usually a little port to let air kind of in and out but you're playing a big air bubble and and that's part of that feel in fact if you if even if as a non-drummer take a single take a tom and play it with two heads on it and then take one off and and play it you know with just the one head it feels radically different and that's what's um that's what's always been missing from the electronics so yamaha's i forget the name of the pads uh I don't have it in front of me, but their current, you know, kind of the, the latest gen of their pads have this, this air bubble on them. So they're like, you should check this out. I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll check it out. And I'm sure, yeah. like I said, you know, part of the problem with the Elisa's thing is it's more than I might need. You know, it's four pads. It's, it's kind of bulky. And 
Uh, so if I had like one little pad or two pads, one here or there, that, that might be the kind of thing that made it easier to integrate with the kit. And, uh, so we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm like, cool. like you said, I'm a geek, right? So I'm a gadget guy. I like, I like yeah. the, the concept of this stuff. So, and I have done some gigs with, with an electronic kit. We, when fling first started, we had two drummers and the other guy had an electronic kit. So occasionally we would do gigs with his kit. If, um, uh, there were various reasons why that might happen. Uh, he had a Roland V drum kit, so n- not terrible. Uh, felt okay, but not. I mean, it didn't feel like real drums, but it was playable. You get used to it, like anything else, and mm-hmm. um, mostly sensitive. They kind of wore out after a while, you know. But it was okay. It's the weird part is the sound. You're not there's you're just not moving the same amount of air. And, sure. s- and so it's a re- have you have you played on stage? I know you and I have played uh, not on stage, but in a rehearsal room with an electronic kit that when we used to practice sometimes for the all star band. But uh, have you ever played on stage with a drummer using electronics? I, I've not. But, you know, I'll tell you for a guitar player, there, there are these processors, right, that, you know, you're not going through an amp and therefore you're not pushing air. But then you're hearing this this sound that in your brain you always associate with driving an amplifier. So I totally get it, but you know, it's not, it's not terribly unlike the discipline of playing to a click track, you know, this, it's not artificial, you know, it's absolute when you play to a click track, but when you play to a band, there's a certain organic nature to it. And you just have to accept that, that that's part of the discipline. Now it's not, it's, it's not terribly different. You know, if you're playing, to one of these line six things or you sure. know, the multitude of other guitar processors, you're making sounds happen that used to happen by the amount of attack that you would put on picking your strings or the amount of drive that you would put into your, into your amp. And yet the sound is coming out, you know, as though you're playing, you know, a, a, a whole series of Marshall stacks, that type of thing. It is a, definitely a weird thing. It feels artificial to you as the person that's used to making the, the air move, it just feels weird, but to the listener, it's just stuff. Yeah. So that's true of, of the guitar processing. And I get that multiply it times 10 with drums uh, for a couple of, as the drummer, the sound is not coming out of you're used to your, your guitar sound coming out of a speaker, right? As a drummer, that's not the case. You're used to the sound coming off of the instrument itself. And and so to hit a snare drum and have it come out of a speaker or have it come in your ears, that's a weird thing. You're not feeling it in in the same way. Uh, oh, well, I'd say for guitar players, so Dave, you know, like I said, the, the very tactile attack of you yeah. placing a pick to a string. Yeah, that is a very physical you know, event that directly correlates to what's coming out of the amp. That's true. That's true. Um I, I, anyone that I know that's played, and that's why I asked that's like other instrumentalists and vocalists that have played with drummers that use the electronics. Um, it's this detached thing. And again, like you said, you just get, you adapt, you get used to it, but not hearing, not feeling a bass drum move air like a bass drum does, or, or even a, you know, a, a, a snare drum move air like a snare drum does it. It's this, it is this very detached kind of thing. And when we used the, when we used it in fling the electronic kit, you know, everybody was like, this is, I mean, we hear the sound of drums and that's great, but you're not moving the air unless you, unless you have a huge sound system, you're just not going to move air the same way that drums will. You know, and it, and I've noticed it in the crowd too. 
even at like arena shows, when a drummer moves to an electronic kit, it, you know, you lose an element of that. So I hear you. Yeah. It's interesting. I tried, I tried something along these lines. I tried uh, the local guitar store here. Keith Holland guitars had a little uh, customer appreciation day slash expo. They had about 15 manufacturers that were demonstrating some stuff in the guitar store. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I discovered this new product, this company called Antares. They have a new, um, they sell a a foot, a a floorboard, you know, pedal processor, but they also sell kits for manufacturers to embed the stuff into guitars. But basically it's a, it's a pitch management thing and, and it does everything from guaranteeing no matter how out of tune your guitar is that it comes out tuned. So it auto tunes it um, can simulate putting a capo anywhere on the guitar. It can um, do all the alternate tunings that you do in guitars, drop D double drop T open E open G all these things. It can, um, it can give you a bunch of intervals. So like, if you want to, you know, play like a dual lead sound with just, just you, it can, if you, if you give it, you know, the, the root, it'll give you the fourth or the fifth or whatever you want to tune oh, to. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, it was really, really cool. It's only 600 bucks. And what, and, what is, um, what's it called? Antares. A-N-T-A-R-E-S is the manufacturer. Okay. And I don't remember the model that they give to this actual floorboard, but the thing about it is like for a lot of these process stuff, the problem is, is that similar to what we're talking about, it sounds processed. Uh, they did a pretty, they did a pretty good job with their modeling stuff that, you know, because basically if you're telling me you're going to give it an out of tune guitar and it's going to, you know, spit out an in tune guitar, you're processing it. I mean, it's not the sure. sound that you're providing and something's changing, No, it's changing. And, but they did a pretty right. darn good job. Of, yeah. They did a pretty good job of holding the essence of what your guitar sounds like going through this thing. Simon and my band tried it out and he, he was saying, um, it was it was okay through a guitar amp, but once you put it through a PA, it was actually really you know impressive type of thing, huh. which I think is kind of the deal with all of this electronic stuff, you know. And that's kind of the offset for this pushing air stuff is that if you let it just kind of you know put it through the biggest speakers possible, right, and let it you know let it be as big as possible, that could be pretty cool. I really like this thing, but relative to what we're talking about, one of the effects that it had is that is that it, it would model an acoustic guitar. Now that is really weird because, you yeah. know, I can picture myself with a, you know, an acoustic guitar, a box of wood, essentially, you know, against your body that you feel the resonance to when you strum and you hear coming out of the sound hole in a fairly direct way. But when you, <laughs> when you strum, you know, a, a solid body electric guitar and you hear acoustic guitar coming out and it was pretty good. It was better than most. Yeah. There's a few other products that do this, but that's a very, very, you know, that we're talking about the tactile feel of, you know, making, making a sound with your instrument, be it a drum or a guitar or whatever. That's it. Yeah, totally. Being different than what comes out and goes out into the world. That's a weird one. That's yes. That's always been weird too. That's right. The, the acoustic simulators, uh, no matter how it's good weird. they are, it's this, yeah, detached sort of, yes, <laughs> it's weird. Yep. Yeah. Ah, I like it. I like it. Gear Gab. It's a new segment for us, Paul. When we uh, love it, when we dig into this, me too. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be dangerous for us. I think, I don't think they'd be able to shut us up. No, but that's all right. We get to, we get to decide. Right. So we'll do, we'll do gear gab again sometime. This is good. All right. It's fun. All right. You got anything else to share for this week, Paul, before we, uh, before we say, before we, yeah, my last thing is this. So, um, I've got, I've got a pretty clear next couple of months in front of me and I'm going to really dive into my chops. So I'm, you know, cause this is a little bit self cathartic kind of sharing with our listeners, sharing with you 
that, you know, I've got more time than I've had in a long time. And I really want to take my game up to another level. So, you know, I want to get into a good practice routine and going back into voice lessons. I have another voice teacher. Um, you know, there's a bunch of things with breath control that I want to kind of deal with. So I'd like to do two intense months. So we're talking about, a, you know, a reasonably experienced player and I'm, I'm where I am, right? Yeah. I want to really, really work on busting through ceilings and, and seeing if I can take my game to another place. And so I, I want to share that with the listeners as we go, you know, as over the, you know, through the first of the year, I want to share how that's going because that, that's the thing is ruts, and busting through ceilings and getting out of habits is probably the hardest thing as a player, as a musician that you face. You know, you can practice and you can learn a new lick, but really changing yeah. your game is a really hard thing when you've been playing for a while. And that, that's kind of what I'm after. Finding a new plateau. I, I, um, yeah. I, I don't I don't mean to and I certainly didn't mean to steal your thunder on this, but I, I think I'm going to join you on this. I, I, I've been mm-hmm. I've been talking I've been talking to myself about this, especially over the last month, knowing that. Uh, you know, I couldn't play. And it's like, you know, I, I enjoy this. I should push and take it to the next level because I've certainly done that at different times in my life. It's been decades, <laughs> but uh, since I've done it, but it's possible, you know, and, and I think you can teach us old dogs new tricks, or at least we can teach ourselves new tricks. So good. So we'll, we'll check in with each other. Well, we'll as keep to each other honest look. on it. Yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's it. That is it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, oh. uh, it's like we're, uh, it's like our exercise club right you know we'll we'll make sure we, we each get to the gym right <laughs> yeah. very good cool awesome man all right well have a uh, splendid week my friend and uh, everybody if you if you have any thoughts for us uh gear stuff reflection on on what you're doing with your band or any any thoughts or advice for paul and i as we um as we try and keep each other honest on this you know practice how many days a week do you want to say uh I, i'm gonna say this week i'm gonna practice seven days a week Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll have a guitar for at least an hour, hopefully two or three hours a day. I'll be, I'll be working on stuff and, and it's a bunch of stuff. I mean, this is yeah. not only chops. It's like my horrific ability to memorize lyrics. I've got to find a way to break through whatever patterns I have about uh, stuff and, and, you know, stop, stop making things up as I go, you yeah. know, filling in a word here, that type of stuff. So it, it's in all aspects of the professionalism of my of my job, you know, yep. so, so it's a whole bunch of stuff. The answer is I'll definitely play seven days a week. I hope to get up to two or three hours a day. Wow. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to make it to two or three hours a day. You're definitely going to, you're going to be, you're going to trump me there, which is good. Um, because that'll drive me to do as much as I possibly can. So it's it, the most I can commit to, I think is probably a half hour a day, um, minimum, you know, and hopefully more. So we'll see how it goes. Well, th- you know, this isn't, this isn't like daring you to do something no. that you can't do, but you know, we're not, we're not like, no, no. you know, in boot camp, something like that. No, but it is good to boot you do camp what you yourself. can with yeah. what you have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that the consistency of it is the key, you know, just getting whatever it, your instrument is for me, you know, getting sticks in my hand, uh, every day for at least, you know, even a short period of time I've found in the past, if I do even 15 minutes a day, even 10 minutes a day, if it's every day, it, it makes a huge, it, it makes a difference. It won't push you to that next level, but it'll keep you, you know, good and limber and, uh, and you're, you'll be able to do things. Well, for sure. I'm, and so remember, I'm going to work on my acoustic chops. I'm going to work on my electric soloing chops. I'm going to yeah. work on my singing chops. So I've just got a lot more to do than you, you did. You've got, yeah, you've got more to do. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some stuff to do. 
<laughs> I've been listening to I I um at the beginning of September I started listening to Frank Zappa's discography from in in chronological order. And uh, I'm I'm most of the way through it now. Um uh, and you know his drummers his whole band uh, at any point in time his band was fantastic and certainly his drummers yeah. uh were part of that. So that's been that's been part of my inspiration is really learning how to uh, copying some of that stuff that those guys do because it when I listen to it, it doesn't make sense to me. Some of it, you know, yeah. like when I listen, I'm I need a, to get. I was going to say, I need I'm, to get Nick from the house rockers yeah. on. And, and yeah. uh, so Nick, like you is a, is a big Zappa fan. And he actually was trying to form a Zappa tribute band right about the time I met him mm. with Ike Willis. Right. So he actually was, you know, had, had a guy from Zappa's universe who he was trying to get something together with. And, uh, but, and, and Nick took me to see Dweezil's uh, Zappa does Zappa. And I appreciate it, but it doesn't move me in the same way it moves you and him. I mean, yeah. there, there's a, there's a deep appreciation for the musicianship and musicality, the complexity that drives them. You know, that's, that's not it for me in, in music. I get it, sure. but it's just not the thing. Oh, you know, you know, this is, this has moved me in some artistic way. Right. I get it. And I love it. And I, I know I can't do it, right. but um. yes. <laughs> and Frank, I mean, just the live stuff was, and, and you're right. We should get Nick on to talk about it. Cause the, the, what I hadn't done was listen to a lot of Zappa's live stuff. And I think that's his best stuff because it showcases just how much work they put in and how great of a conductor yeah. he was, uh, you know, and yes. keeping things moving and in sync and, oh yeah, it's great. So uh, what I was going to say is, you know, I've, I've been a rush fan, like, you know, prog rock fan since I was a kid. And most of that stuff, if I listen to, you know, Neil Peart or Bill Bruford or, uh, you know, Carl Palmer and any of those guys that were sort of in that, that realm of things that, that really moved me as a kid. I understand what they're doing. I can't necessarily do it. You know, I mean, I, it would take a lot of work and it had, and I put in work on certain things or whatever, but I always can understand it. I'm like, I know what it would take to do that. And with the Zappa stuff, uh, a lot of it, it's like, Whoa, you know, I don't even, I don't even understand how you're approaching that particular. It's a lick. different world. Yeah. yeah. And I want to, I need to different universe. That's, that's kind of the breakthrough I'm, I'm, I'm looking for is, is just that, that, grokking that and and i think in order to do it i've just got to do what i did with all the prog stuff and that's you know sit down and dissect it and just learn it you know physically and mechanically and hopefully in that process it'll start to become evident like oh wait a minute that's what's going on here but the byproduct of doing that you may not get to exactly where you think you're going towards but you'll go somewhere i'll go somewhere you'll you'll get a benefit from this that you'll be able to use that's correct yeah yeah, so that's that's my path is is dissecting Zappa's drummers, um, and it, it may it may lead to you know furthering my insanity, but that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, folks. Feedback at gitgabpodcast.com is the place to send in your thoughts, and we would love to hear from you. And we'll see you on Facebook too. Facebook.com Thanks, slash gitgabpodcast. Thanks, Paul. Have a good one. Talk soon. Bye.